0: Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell elevate. elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. This is your host, Tizer Evans, and I'm here with Sable Advisory Services. I have Emily, Sylvia, and Elizabeth joining me today. Uh, thank you all so much for joining me. For thank you Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to discuss a topic that I've never covered on the podcast, but I think it's more relevant than um, ever. But if we could get it kicked off, um, would you all please uh, introduce yourself and someone take the lead on kind of introducing the company a bit? Sure.
2: I'm happy to, to start. My name is Emily turpin Srock and I'm one of the three co-founders of Sable Advisory Services. My background is primarily in um, public health. So I started with more of a science-based background, working in personal training and acute care medicine, and spending time with people really moving their bodies but what I found was it was more the psychology of change and motivation and inspiration that really moved people. Um, so after college, I made a transition and started working in community integrated health, um, which is really trying to blend community based organizations in the public sector with uh, health care and technology. So that's where I spent the majority of my career Uh, Elizabeth, Sylvia, and I crossed paths in a large nonprofit um, called the YMCA of San Francisco. So we all have some history there and I got the opportunity to really play in that space and identify that um, while all of us have a lot of similar goals in trying to improve population health, we're all going about it in very different ways. And systematically, we're not integrated, we're not connected. So, there were lots of different siloed approaches to helping people get well. Um, and nobody was really doing anything well at scale. <laughs> and so, that was kind of the impetus for the start of Stable Advisory um, identifying challenges and gaps in the healthcare sector while connecting to other players in the ecosystem and trying to help people improve their well being. But it really all started with um, the onset of COVID and the murder of George Floyd. And we brought a team of folks together. Actually, Elizabeth and Sylvia started the team through a global think tank, bringing folks together and and asking questions. You know, how how do we do it differently? Really? I mean, how do we really do it differently? Because... um, even though there's lots of great work happening out there, we're not seeing the kind of change that we need mm-hmm. to see. Uh, and so that's what's brought us here today. Um, it's a little bit of background on the company as far as how we launched. Um, but I'd love for Sylvia and Elizabeth to introduce themselves and, and share a bit of their perspective on how they feel the company come to life. So I'll kick it over to Elizabeth.
3: Great, so glad to be here. Uh, Well, my background actually started in behavior change and working with populations. And uh, much like Emily described, I was doing a lot of interventions that looked at the physical approach and how we design systems that enable engagement with physical activity, but it was very clear that a lot of it was around psychology and the aspects of why we move, how we move, uh, who's supporting us to engage in these activities, including the infrastructure uh, that is involved with all of these decisions. Uh, And so that led me down some various paths working in nonprofit chronic disease management, and then started uh, what is called um, enterprise healthcare management, um, aka corporate wellness, uh, and started working with corporations on their offerings and what their employees really valued to make them uh, well and um, address their health and well-being. And again, it still came down to what is the infrastructure and environment in place to enable people to engage and make decisions around their health. And I started to notice a, a ton of discrepancies around um, social class, race, and accessibility, looking at key social determinants that would impact a, a person's or community's ability to make decisions. Um, and that was really where the health equity lens uh, transformed my approach to um, looking at integrated healthcare. So um, yeah, I through my nonprofit work and, and crossing paths with Emily and Sylvia, I started looking more into what now is considered ESG Uh, and finding those gaps around health that there's not a a complete robust uh, definition around health and looking at ESG mandates and disclosures. And it is different across countries and it's different across business size, uh, investor communities as well. And so as Emily mentioned, there's there's a massive ecosystem with a lot of stakeholders and really finding the, Um, our ground and understanding that we all have to be in this collaborative space together in order to create the systems change that we're looking to do. And if we're going to level up and bring people to the table and have that equity lens, we have to be taking the experience and voices of those unheard in our solution building. And so Sable exists to enhance uh, the human capital management of, of how we operate in business and looking really closely at social progress as an interdependent factor of, of business profit and success. So um, integrating approaches and, and making them part of the same narrative.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'm Sylvia Dawes, and my background is really directly in health strategy, working with large Local, um, international, and, and really global companies, and I've worked with insurance companies just on the health side, on the healthcare side. But I've also worked with individual vendors who are trying to promote health and bring health into organizations. Um, but really, majority of my time is the strategy. Like, how do you take a big strategy and how do you infuse it into an organization? and um it's just something that we don't do well you know and if if we even look at the numbers and just look at how how much better has health become in organizations for something that's like companies spend billions of dollars internationally on you know how much better are people really and we don't see it we don't see the engagement um we don't see the outcomes and, you know, any of the numbers will show you that. But I think that there's probably three things that really brought me to this kind of work. Um, And one is what really is the impact of health on people on work? And, you know, one day I just sat down and did my own calculation. I said, okay, let's say I work for a nice company. I work no more than 40 hours a week. You know, I have an average commute. Um, how much of my time over a seven day week is spent related to work? It's like 50%. And then you look at the data and McKinsey has done some studies and looks like our health is influenced, like 40% of our health is influenced by our work, at least 40%. Um, The other thing that comes to me is just this aspect of sustainability and the interest in sustainability you know, as a whole, as kind of what I like to call more like a buzzword, because are we talking about, you know, EVs? Are we talking about trees? Are we talking about people? Like, what are we talking about? But at any rate, you look through the S&P 500, over the last few years, it's like, it's doubled the number of companies that are speaking about sustainability when it comes to their quarterly meetings. Now, how that actually gets implemented is separate, but it's there, right? There's an interest in it. And um, companies know that shareholders are interested in that, which brings me to my third piece, which is the stakeholder versus the shareholder. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, another thing that our financial companies have been really watching for a really long time, probably 10, 20 years, is this evolution into stakeholder um, investing. So Or shareholders, yeah, sure. You still want a return on your investment. You still want your your stock price to go up, but you want it done in the right way. You care about what's the product that's being made, you know, how unemployed is being treated. How is this impacting the community and the supplier chain? And, you know, an example of that is, yeah, you can have, use really great materials and make these great sustainable clothes, but then we look down the road and you're using child labor to make the clothes which yep. really happened, you know? And so it's, it's it's having companies that are thoughtful around the human capital part, which is a health and employees sustainability and really how to build that and still have a really profitable firm.
1: Well, thank you. That That was a, a great intro and I appreciate all the different perspectives and your unique experiences across the board. And you touched on a lot of really great points already. Um, I think a great place to start, because there's a lot of different avenues to go. And I was taking some, <laughs> taking some notes. Is talking about the everybody kind of said the one thing that I cause a common theme, is it how do we look at this from um, a larger scale, holistic perspective? Because it is true that everybody is in their silos. You can look at right, like Patagonia is a great example of someone who's very mission oriented. Mm-hmm. You know what they stand for. You like. Buying their clothing because of what they're stand for. But then you've got Apple, on the other hand, it's got, you know, they've they're doing what they're doing in China, right? And and it's not really great, but they're adoption from a consumer perspective. So how do we start to build something at scale where companies can all get on the same page, because I think that everybody is siloed. So is there, maybe that's too broad of a question, so forgive me, um, but any thoughts around that, how to get uh, a country and all these different individual businesses to start kind of rowing in the same direction, so to speak?
2: I have some thoughts. Yeah, for sure. So not too broad of a question. I think um, in general, we, we are a team that likes to, what we say is converge and diverge. So very often we're coming together, we're narrowing the scope, we're identifying concrete opportunities for where we can leverage or um, build momentum. But then oftentimes you get with diversity and with that convergence, we actually wanna see, again, an open, an opening, an opportunity for, as we narrow in on that scope, what new pathways present themselves. Because as we know in physics, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So all the solutions that we're generating ultimately create new problems for us in the future of which we don't yet know what they are. And yeah. so our goal with Sable is to start to think about a long-term time horizon, right? Let's let's start to expand what we mean by value creation, going beyond profit. To think about non-financial forces at play, and so one of the primary um, components that we're introducing to businesses to help address your question of how do you start to get folks kind of moving in a similar direction, and um, is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, which is aligned to a twenty thirty agenda for international collaboration to try and reduce uh, primarily human suffering through um, reducing poverty, increasing clean water and sanitation, right? Those kinds of things. Um, But it's really drafted into three primary components of sustainability, which is social, environmental, and governance. Um, So everything that we're doing, how you structure your company, how you structure government, how you structure an entire community or economic society should be grounded in sustainable principles that are thinking about not just how do we help people thrive in today's generation, but ensure that their children and their grandchildren are also being positioned to thrive. Because the reality is, right, we know we've inherited a really big mess and our Gen Zs, those who are just coming up, are are experiencing even more challenge. Um, And so these are some of the approaches that we take to try and bring people together. And then naturally you're gonna see a divergence again because everybody's running a different business model with a different focus. Um, So it's, it's both flexible and standardized is kind of the approach that we try to bring to our business model.
1: No, I appreciate that. Thanks, Emily. Uh, you know, the thing that, uh, that popped in, I'm familiar with a little bit of the agenda for 2030 and with the United Nations. Um, you know, I've always been, you know, to me, it sounds like great in theory, but I'm always, I'm always, how do you, is it just, hey, we start at home? And we really just focus here in the states and try to be that beacon of light for the rest of the world because you're going to have other countries, right? That they're they don't have labor laws, they don't have different types of initiatives, they don't really, frankly, care about you know, how they treat employees. Like you said, I think um, Sylvia, so yeah, that there's still you know child labor going on. Mm-hmm. So it, it, where do you start? Is this like we start here in our own silo and try to have that kind of a ripple effect here, and then and then you know maybe. I, I know that Elizabeth, you're in, um, you know, in England and then kind of go into Europe and, and they're probably already ahead of us, to be honest. But uh, so we're, how do you see that kind of functioning um, from you know, uh, a global perspective?
3: I think I like to start with uh, thinking about your spheres of influence. And part of it is actually starting at home. I I think that's a great example of how to reflect locally and see what is happening. And this can be directly in your own home. It can be in your business. It can be on your doorstep, in your community. Uh, But a lot of the paralysis has been, where do we start? Uh, And we're connected to contributing to the progress of the UN SDGs. And I I think that's um, a shared value and vision that most people can wrap their heads around. But when we think of what the actions we can do and to close our intentions into actions, we have to understand those spheres of influence. And there will be people that have the power to influence at a much larger scale. And those people are responsible for that influence at a much larger scale. So if we can wrap our heads around what our ambitions are, what we're capable of, uh, where our gaps are, um, and really use our partnerships and collaborations to leverage um, moving through those gaps and closing some of them, then we're going to start to make real progress. Um, And they are moonshot goals, and they will evolve after 2030, uh, but we have to align on something so that we can create this um, shared mission and shared value. And um, I just want to give one more example, and maybe Sylvia can jump in too. uh, And and using an image of where we've come from and where we're going is back in the 70s when um, Sylvia was talking about shareholder value, we had these three circles that were disparate. We had society, environment, and business. And then slowly in the 90s, we started seeing the shared value where the Venn diagram started coming together. And okay, oh, we are overlapping on a vision. But now we're starting to see in the 21st century, even this year is a system layer. So those, now those circles are overlapping and sit on each other. And what that does is create an understanding that the action that I take today may have that ripple effect on my neighbor and on my community and then regionally, and then internationally. And we may not see it in our lifetime, or we may see it when our children come run home and tell us what they, what they did to contribute to environmental sustainability. So we have the opportunity to grasp these moments in time and create those ripple effects just by the actions we take on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, and just just to add to that, you know, I like to take kind of like this this future kind of perspective on things. And it's like where are we in the future? Um are we kind of at the beginning? Are we in the middle? And I think if we look around us there's there there's a lot that's going on really in the space. I mean, there's cities, major cities, you know, in the US that are committed to this by 2030. You know, all sometimes, you know, as I'm I'm listening to the financial shows, you hear companies and they have certain agendas and they're like, you know, we want this done by 2030. You know, and this is where like this starts to come in and and them trying to connect and and connecting with with our sustainable development goals with the UN. So it's it's moving out there. There, there's there's interest, there are things happening. Um, I think where we stand um where sable stands is there's people in that and we, we can't forget about the people along the way and how do we really kind of close this this people and planet you know connection by making sure that people are supported in there
1: yeah and what that was kind of kind of my leading to my uh Next question that, you know, Elizabeth kind of touched on it, and I know that you had um, spoke on it in your intro, Sylvia, is, you know, we are, it's interesting, right? You look at the United States, we spend more on healthcare than probably the next 10 countries combined, like we do on weapons, unfortunately. Um, But we're the sixth society probably in the world. We're, we're the most right. um, you know, we're the most imprisoned society in the world as well. You know, that's a whole nother separate topic. But I it's it's sad for me that we're so overprescribed as a country and we don't focus on wellness and personal responsibility to take account for your own health. And so how do we start to involve people like myself? You know, I'm 38 um i'm six days a week in the gym i wake up every morning i meditate i do breathing i'm in the gym and i read because it's my responsibility to be a role model for my children right to show them personal responsibility how i show up to life and so many people i feel like in our society my perspective are lacking that and so they take that to their jobs then to your point they're in jobs that are not fulfilled they don't feel cared for by their company and so it reflects in their work which You know, when you feel like you're a cog in the machine, you know, then you kind of just give up and you get distracted by things like watching football for eight hours on Sunday, which Mm -hmm. no no knocking football, but that's not something that I do. I'd much rather read the book. So how do we start to make this shift with helping people promote self-responsibility and taking control of their own health care while encouraging companies to assist with that? Excellent
2: question, Ty. Um, I'm going to throw some statistics out there just to try and help ground us with some of the things that you're articulating. Um, So yes, it's true. There is, according to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is a critical framework that we leverage to help drive our work, um, which is their culture of health for business, says that uh, fewer than 30% of American people believe that their own well-being is affected or subject to the interaction of those that are around them right so there's a real misunderstanding or lack of understanding as far as how health happens right which is absolutely socially interconnected and so part of the challenge that we're seeing in the business world is that mindset this sort of lack of personal responsibility or accountability for outcomes right that you have to be an active part of the solution if you expect right. to reap rewards right you got to get into the gym if you want to feel better you got to get into the gym if you want to build muscle those kinds of things but that's a highly simplified example right so when we start to think bigger picture what we're doing with stable is we're trying to improve human capital development, essentially centering people in the business model, because people are who are gonna drive your environmental sustainability strategy, they're gonna drive your product development to really bring in that profit. But the reality is we have a mindset issue, primarily. We expect quick wins on short timelines with very minimal effort. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And the challenges that we're experiencing in the world today are the opposite of that. They're highly complex, they're wicked, Right. And they're integrated, which means that everybody has some sort of stake in solving the problem. And I think particularly in the U.S. we're we're not collaborative, um, we're highly individualistic in nature and from a mindset perspective. And again, we expect a short return in a short period of time with minimal effort. Um, so that's a cognitive shift that we're working on. And with Sable, what we're trying to do is overall improve human health. So let's think about that the other way, Reduce chronic disease. In order to do that, we need collective action. We need everybody at the table doing their part to move the needle for upstream improvement. Right. We we got to get away from the short termism and these quick wins. But before social cohesion, you need everybody to agree cognitively that that's the right thing to do from a motivational perspective, from an intuition perspective, all that. Right. And that requires dialogue. (laughs) That requires sitting together, sharing opinions and perspectives, listening to somebody who has a very different perspective than you do, not to agree, but to say, let's put all this in the bag so that we can shake it up and pull some things out that make sense for everybody to be included. When we look at the black market, for example, I mean, trillions of dollars are spent globally by black people buying all the products that we make. yet fewer than 1% of them are actually designing those products. So they're not a part of the solution at all, even though they're a primary driver of market value. So preceding all of this before chronic disease reduction, before social cohesion and cognitive shift, we need social capital. We need to figure out how to bring people together to say, you know, without each other, there is no long term time horizon. We can't do this alone um, because we're going to end up alone. Right. And so that's really what we're here to do is to support people with identifying that when you come together to share your perspective, you also must listen so that we can generate new solutions. Because what we see in business is people are recycling the same solutions from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. They're doing it in different ways and they're innovating. But the solutions are still siloed. Right. We're not thinking about an integrated approach. So with that whole preamble, one resource that we highly recommend that individuals start to explore for that personal responsibility are the inner development goals. Mm-hmm. So the inner development goals sit parallel and alongside the sustainable development goals to support people with that cognitive mind shift that supports a more collective approach to well-being. So I'll pause Do that. I mean, I'd love to hear if there's anything else from the other girls, but does that bring up new questions for you, Ty?
1: Oh no! I mean th- that that was that was great. Thank you. I would love to hear okay. Sylvia and Elizabeth uh, would like to elaborate or uh, contribute.
0: Yeah, you know, I, 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 that, that, I think that's that's a really interesting question. And as I look at people and look at data and look at the the connection of health to other things that go on in society, right? Go and look into the connection of of health and sexism. You know, health and racism, health and how and the trauma that that kids really go through and it shows up in their life. Um, you know, to Emily's point, it it this is really complex. You know, this isn't a simplified do, you know, do A, B, and C and you should be good. And, you know, I know from my work, you know, organizations will, you know, put in a bunch of Of health plans, and they'll put in a a, a couple of challenges, right, to get their employees involved. And that works for a minute, but it really doesn't help, I think, people with what's going to get us excited about or knowing that we can take care of ourselves. Particularly, I think, when you can step out every day, you can feel like any work that you've done has just been beat down, you know, by Stress and news, and you know, so it, it is really complex. And you know, I, I think organizations can create their own silos, they cannot make people worse, they can actually start to help make people better. Because I actually feel like organizational times just make the situation worse. You know, Avita, you've kind of m- mentioned that, right? You're just a cog, right? You're and you're treated a certain way and talked about a certain way.
1: No, I think that's on it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And I think it, um, the statistic, you know, 40% of work influences health. And so it's just, you know, when you're treated a certain way in the workplace and you take <laughs> that emotional stress or distress, you know, home, it's projected onto your children, onto your spouse, yeah. right? And that's very detrimental because then you're just repeating the perpetual cycle where your children yeah. will grow up with those imprints. They don't understand how to deal with their own emotions, right? So it, it is, it's a ripple effect. Um and, and then exam-
2: they enter the workforce.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then they enter exactly. the workforce. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And here we go. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and I'm and I'm familiar, you know, being on the healthcare side, that's what I do. I help companies uh-huh. implement self-funded plans. And so I can see from what I would call, uh, you know, in in California in particular, it's a very challenging market because you have a stronghold of we have the BUCA carriers, or we call the BUCA carriers, uh, you know, Blue Cross, United, and and not to—I don't know if I should name them—but that, right? It's if you look at from when ACA got implemented, and you look at their stock prices, they've outpaced S and P five hundred index, the health (laughs) sector, pretty much every. Uh, sector out there's been wildly profitable for them and there's been no real incentive to make people healthy although it was a good intention right at the guaranteed issue product. Um, And I think that Elizabeth, you said you you spent time in in wellness and I've seen wellness plans, you know, when they're they're great employers get excited, they put them in. It's like less than 5% of people really adopt them or utilize them. Um, So how do we start to maybe leverage healthcare and the plans that, I mean, I have thoughts behind it because that's what I try to help do every day with companies to make people healthy. It's all about, you know, I tell people don't be reactive healthcare, be preventative, right? Like the best claim that ever occurs is one that doesn't happen. Um, So that's what we want to focus on. But how do we get people to have a better adoption of making themselves healthy, and how do the companies maybe help to incentivize or
0: promote that in a a more meaningful way?
3: Well,
0: I'm just going to touch. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go. I can, I can go on this one all day. Go ahead. Well,
3: I want to bring back Sylvia's uh, point and then she'll continue on because we, <laughs> we have the same stream of consciousness sometimes. But uh, this idea of personal responsibility that seems to be deflected onto individuals it has a lot to do with accountability and health and well-being as a strategic priority. So I, I we do some work with governments and, and policies. And if the policies aren't in place for people to engage in their health and the agency that they need to, to do that, they have to be safe um, physically and psychologically. Um, and that yeah. comes first, so we'll talk about that all day. Um, but the, uh, I, I said this before, the environment has to be enabled for people to make those decisions and have confidence in their ability to do that. And so coming living in um, England where there's socialized healthcare we have um, this like reverse behavior where people rely on the NHS for their sick care and they know it's there and it's a safety net and they will use it and use it and use it without taking some responsibility for the prevention that could prevent them from going there in the first place but that also right. comes back to the community responsibility mm-hmm. why why is it that we have um don't have the support network uh, where is the mental health support in in the workplaces that mm-hmm. would prevent and actually um, um recognize someone's shift that could put them into that place so we have a a responsibility as a society to understand the behaviors that are shifting and catch people before they move into that um, that cliff where they're going to go into sick care and once they're there they longer longer term um, cycle of accessing care that is also <laughs> ripe with controversy and, and being able to, to access um, on time and and um, Getting the full support that they need and to recover and also return back to work. Because here's here's the incentive is that there's an economic incentive for people to be back in work. If they participate in society, they are that improves their health and well-being. They are active participants. They can make decisions that impact their families, their communities. And then also what we see and what we hope to embed and prove with Sable is that people in the workforce can actually be good for their health and well being, and also improve productivity and also improve bottom line and shareholder price and X, Y, Z of, of economic prosperity.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I'll just add, you know, when I mentioned, gosh, you know, organizations can make people less healthy. Right. And I, I also feel like organizations are not really set up generally to support employees in that way. I mean, you know, from, from the kind of work that you're talking about, you do, you're probably basically dealing with HR. You're basically dealing with benefits areas. And that is this department sitting on this floor in this corner doing that work. Right. And employees, right. All of us, right? We're impacted by a whole lot more than that. We're impacted by what's going on in the outside world. Mm -hmm. We're impacted by what's going on in our own personal social world. We're impacted by the other employees that we have to work with, right? And how supportive they are and who they are. And the whole thing about psychological safety, do I feel comfortable at work or am I just getting to work? Am I just gonna get to work, do what I gotta do and leave? And I've worked for corporate for many years There's, you know, places where I felt like, yeah, I could, I could be myself. And there's plenty of places where I didn't. And that's just, in my opinion at the time, got it the way it was. And I'm just going to deal with that. But it also has an impact on health there. So, you know, I think then when companies turn and say, well, hey, we really want you to be healthier and you get these random calls from these random, you know, health companies because, you filled a prescription for something, right? Um, people get get kind of irritated. Um I, I just I just feel like it in the best case, all this is needs to be flipped. You know, this isn't a patchwork solution. Yeah. This is this is what what Sable tries to bring, right? Let's come in, let's sit down with leadership, let's talk about um what our goals are, develop strategy, co-develop right where we're going. Look at frameworks out there that are working, frameworks that fit, right? And start to implement that over time. You know, this isn't this isn't something we can put in another something to try to fix the issue.
1: No, that makes sense. And and I can appreciate the um The safety component to it as well, because you know I said now now I'm you know obviously I'm dressed for work, and so uh, you know it's it's a lot different than I spent you know a decade wearing suit and ties and whatnot, and it was very buttoned up, and it was very much like mind your Uh p's and q's, and um and so it's interesting I I've flipped seven sales teams in my career, and the way that I've been able to do that was really you know creating a safe place for people to not see me as a boss but just see me as an extension of them. And so they, they knew I had an open door policy. I met with all of my employees um, every year at the beginning of the year, and we discussed personal and professional goals. And I was vested in them as a person. I had weekly one-on-ones to help those goals. Everybody thought I was a psychopath because I had I had a daily meeting for my team. And the reason I had a daily meeting was to go back to an aligned vision. And I think that so many people, what they do is they say, "Hey, here are our core values." And I and I just experienced this. And I can't get I can't get into a lot of it, but I worked for a company, um, not now, but I, it previously, and and they had all these great core values, but they didn't implement any of them. And being a work from home home employee, uh, they had a very strict um, vaccine policy. And so, you know, I wasn't I wasn't allowed to go to the office and stuff like that because I, my my past of having adverse reactions, I I didn't I didn't want to participate in that. And so I felt completely alienated. I didn't feel like they were uh, aligned with their vision. I was trying to t- express myself to them medically what was going on with me. And nobody cared. It was just shut up and do your job. And so, you know, I ended up leaving, um, which worked out well. But I didn't feel safe. and, and I but I've created that for other people right? And so I kind of understand on a small scale how that works. So how does that look when you talk with leadership to realize, hey, you've got HR, you've got sales, you've got, you know, project management, all these different people to help them align their core values to actually implement them every single day. Uh, any thoughts around that?
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> so Ty, thanks so much for for sharing your real world, real world experience. I mean, I think that there are many people who are listening who, who can articulate a similar end result, right? Is like, I am hearing that these are the things that you value and you care about as an organization, but there's no congruence. That's not what I experience. And ultimately, what I've experienced in the workforce myself in supporting as an internal consultant, trying to help organizations um, align their values to their practices, is that oftentimes the strategy is not operationalized. It's not thought through to the very end point of a particular workers pathway aligned to their day-to-day job. So what we're doing with these organizations is we are identifying what their vision is and helping them to articulate very specific goals around their sustainability strategy. Once those goals are in place, we're really helping them to move from vision to impact. we want to help them understand where you're seeing the big picture in the blue sky, what impact is that having on each of your end users in the day-to-day, your worker, your customer, your value chain, and the community at large, including government and those who are making decisions for how society will be impacted. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pause there for a second and come back to something that you said when you were describing that experience you have where if you're having a a horrible day at work, you're coming home, you're yelling at your kids, you're taking it out on your spouse, whatever that might be. The reality is that business needs to start thinking about not just what's going inside the walls of the company, but what's going on right outside the walls of the company and how that osmosis, that interchange between in and out really does impact the function of the business. And that's what sustainability strategy is really helping us to understand is how are the environmental forces, those non-financial forces outside of the business impacting profitability? But also how are those non-financial forces inside the business impacting profitability? So that's what we help leaders think about. We have them come way up, come out of your division and understand how when those streams come together, what does the vision really look like, right? When all those things are performing simultaneously, and then let's identify what are the outcomes and key results along each of those divisions that we need to operationalize, measure with integrated, verifiable KPIs that cross boundaries, that cross mm. divisions, <laughs> that roll yeah. up into a single dashboard that's showing the big picture of the organization. We need everybody to be doing what Ty was doing, sitting down with their team wow. every day translating this stuff because the truth is it is hyper complex and higher level management has a different understanding of how those things work together and if we're not talking to the, the organizational players who are actually delivering that work that's where we see significant gaps and ultimately it becomes the worker's responsibility to solve the problem because they're not able to talk to the executive level in general oh, yeah And when we start to see that funnel, it's like an upside down funnel, right? It's like you drop something in, but once you reach the end of that funnel, it's too big to contain anymore. And that's where you're getting into this idea of people are like, well, I can't even take care of myself because I can't get through my day job and actually meet the expectations that I've been told are, are meetable. And oftentimes they're not even measurable, right? Yeah. So we're trying to help organizations <laughs> understand to yeah. move from vision. You need a plan. To have a plan, you need to understand who the players are, what you need to accomplish, and how you measure performance improvement. So those are some of the things that we do with leaders.
1: Awesome, I love it. Does uh, anybody else want to j- jump in on that? I don't know. Or we can. I could pivot to something else. No, that's great. I really appreciate that perspective uh, because it is is true, right? Like, I mean, I I think that sales is probably, for me, at least the the best analogy because we will be like, "Uh, actually, we can't sell this. And they're like, we don't care, we made it. we're like, but we can't sell it. I'm telling you, I talked to the customers. You know, it's it's one of those things. We're like, well, you got to do it or you're fired. You're like, well, well, I guess I'm fired. I don't know what to tell you. Um,
2: Well, sorry, let's just, so again, another thing that we like to do with organizations is just recognize that impact. So now you had an entire product team spend all that time, all that organizational resource, all that human, intellectual, and manufactured capital to create a product that you now cannot sell. Let's look at all of the potential fallback on that. Not only do we have lots of motivation in the workforce who's designing that product, but how are you going to dispose of it? Where is that going from an environmental perspective? What's going to happen with the end life of that product? And now you've just expended valuable resources where you have to recreate a whole new product that your team can sell. Sad news is, right, is so often marketing isn't coming to the table. The customer base isn't coming to the table. The product designer isn't coming to the table. These folks need to be present at inception, in order to help us meet the end result where the where the team is like, I can't wait to sell this, right? Because they've been a part of the design process. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so there are huge, those are not small results. I mean, when you just think of a simple example of I've been on the end of I can't sell a product you just made, that is a huge loss for the company and society at large.
1: I totally agree. And I, I appreciate you, Emily, elaborating on that because mm-hmm. when you're talking about everybody coming to the table, you know, that is, it is true. Like everybody needs to come to the table with the end in mind, here are our core values. How does our product or our service aligned with where we're trying to get to? How does it impact everybody in and outside of work? Which I think that is so undervalued, especially here because, you know, to your point, you're talking about, you know, quick wins, right? Because it is about a return mostly to shareholders. And so we have to have immediate results. We're not thinking about the long-term implications and for me, um, I don't know why I just, yeah, I think that in past lives, I was, a I, I will you know, I, I identify as a native American, you know, because it's just like the, how you treat mother earth, you know, it's like, you, I've read the book, limited growth, like th- there's only so much, you know, and you can't, what we've cycled through in the last hundred years is unbelievable. And we don't understand the ramifications yeah. for our grandchildren. And what we're going to leave them with in order just to return short-term profits back to stakeholders or to shareholders is I think it's just sad. And it's so short-sighted mm-hmm. um, of what we're doing uh, as a collective whole. And so that's one of the reasons I thought talking to, to you three would be uh, wonderful because we need to have this larger vision and larger perspective on kind of where we're rowing as a, as a, as a world community. You know? Absolutely. And, and, yeah.
2: and I'll just say, you know, because we've talked a lot about what people should be doing. But recognizing there are significant trade-offs here, right? There are significant trade-offs to shifting the system in the transformational way that we're describing. um, Some of which will mean profit, profit going down for a period of time because we need to. So that's another component that we haven't talked explicitly about that we leverage in our business model, which is um, the seven to 10 capitals. So, really going beyond just profit and financial capital. So, look at human, manufactured, intellectual, natural, right? Manufactured, all of the things, all of the other capitals that drive value in a business. With this kind of model, with that paradigm flip that Sylvia is describing, right, is there will absolutely be significant trade-offs. And what we're discovering in the complexity and the fact that we've extracted so many of our natural resources from the environment that will never be replaced is what is more or most important? Because we are going to have to start to choose. We're going to have to choose between people's health and saving water. We're going to have to choose between biodiversity and, you know, human life loss. Because we have gone so far past that threshold that now we have to make some real sacrifices. And the reality is, the longer we wait, the worse it gets. And folks do know this, but it's this feeling of what do we do? Um, And it's not nothing because doing nothing is a very explicit decision. And we're seeing businesses choose to do nothing. Um, And we're quite confident they're going to be obsolete in in not to too long into the future. So yeah, recognizing that change is hard, and it means that we're going to have to give some things up to gain those aspirational moonshot, you know, goals that we're seeking. So that's an important piece to, to recognize too
0: and i think that that people they do know it but how it impacts them i don't think it's really clear you know so ties mm-hmm. you know i i you know appreciate you you kind of hosting this conversation because if you look at let's say 2030 you know how old will i be in 2030 how old will my kids be where will i possibly be living what will my life possibly be like um and you start to think about those and look at just you know what's going on with the environment right what's going on with with pay people's pay as an example you know where are we going with all that and what what could it look like and actually start to think about it in our own lives in our own time frames in our own little homes and family situations I think um, thinking about it that way will get people just more connected because right now for a lot of people it's just it's just something that's out there it's going to affect somebody somewhere sometime, but I don't think they've really kind of brought it in that it is going to affect them. It's yeah, going to affect all of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to. It's interesting. Um, I've been, re- I've been reading, I don't know if you've, anybody's ever heard of Manly P. Hall. Um, he has some really interesting uh, literature hmm. and I've been reading his, his book, the, um, secret doctrine of america and it just really talks about the the order of the quest so it's not like a conspiratorial type book but it is really talking about the idea of democracy on a global scale and looking at different types of uh, silos of uh, countries or communities uh, that had preceded us and one of the the ones he touched on was the mayans and they had the Mm -hmm. longest period of peace It it's 500 years without any type of war or conflict and and so it's you know what i guess i get i, I get I think what spooks people right is this idea of a one world type government or one world type agenda and in some ways, like I, I can see the perspective of that, right, because you think of this 1984 authoritarian type regime, uh, which I think that, um, you know, it gets pushed out there and propagated in the wrong direction, where I think we need to look at it, where you really globalization of everyone being on the same page and, and to stop, because it is true, like we do have inequality. Right. And, and, and that's just, that's just in our face. And a lot of people like to deny that that's not reality, but it is. But, you know, I heard a great uh, perspective the other day online and it was this lady talking about like, you know, there's one race, there's the human race. And, and so I think that we really shift and have that mindset that, Hey, like, we're all in this together. Like no one's getting out of this. Right. And the more you see that mm-hmm. it, it's China versus the United States or, you know, Russia versus Ukraine, like all these different types of silos and infighting all over the world, like you can't have a collective mission. And that's what we all need to be aligned on. And so I, I understand the, the vision, but I feel just as frustrated because I understand that we yeah. need to. It's like, what is it going to take an alien invasion for us to come together? I don't know. You know, I, I feel like that's <laughs> I feel like that's, you know, yeah. where we're going to get to because yeah. it is daunting. And I just I worry so much uh, about my kids and I feel mm-hmm. like that they won't have the same type of opportunities um, maybe that I've had um, or experienced life mm-hmm. in in the same type of facet. And so, I don't know, maybe that's just, I know we're running up on our time, but any closing remarks on how people should think about the interconnectedness of the world in in a really positive way and why it makes sense to move in that direction?
2: Uh, So good, Ty. Yes. Um, Wonderful question. And I would say, you know, Mm -hmm. it is, it is scary to think about the future. Um, But the beauty is humans were made to evolve right the planet was made to evolve so we're we're evolving right now as we've evolved significantly in this conversation right as we bring together different voices and perspectives Um, and what i'll say is it just requires a tipping point we just need enough people moving in that collective direction to foster that momentum right these are the early adopters which Four of them are sitting right here, you know, really pushing that needle and saying, I'm going to be that one that brings my team of 100 people together every morning to review that strategy because I know the impact that's going to have a year from now. I'm not gonna have to do it every day, but if I foster this tipping point that really moves people in the right direction to give them that momentum so that they can build that ethics team that confidence that we've talked about to do it themselves, I think it is possible. And when I talk to the young people, when I talk to I don't have children myself, but I have nieces and I'm surrounded by young people in, in my general inner circle, they're excited. You know, they're definitely they have a more tempered aspirational vision for the future. They're much more grounded in reality because what you're talking about, that's theoretical. We love to play in theory, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to reality, that's a very different kind of result that we see. Um, But the, the young people are excited. We just had one of our first Gen Z representatives brought into Mm -hmm. the house, you know? And so there's, there's a real shift happening where mindset and perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, is out with the old and in with the new. And I'm not saying new is better, but we certainly need something different. And I do think that tipping point is coming. And so it's true. We're not going to get 100% of people. You never will. We're never going to have consensus, even in a democracy. Um, but it's about getting people to understand there is something in this for everyone. And though you're too slow to see the benefit now, let me show you, come along, right? So I think it is about those people who are listening right now and those who believe in what we're talking about. All I can say is, you know, keep going. Um, You know, it is part of our job as change makers to hit the wall repeatedly, you know, but if I'm the collateral damage that ensures that future generations get to thrive, I think it's a fair price to pay. Um, So I'd I'd love to hear Elizabeth and Sylvia's thoughts on that in closing. And Ty, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun.
3: So Emily says, keep going. And I say, stay curious. And in order to break those us versus them silos and controversy, we we have to be able to start asking different questions uh, and learn and reach across the other aisle uh, across differences and, and ask those questions so we begin to understand a little bit more. Because this is very nuanced. And unless we embrace that nuance, uh, the solutions will keep repeating themselves. So my my uh, final statement before I hand over to Sylvia is uh, start moving from what is to what if uh, and what's what's possible because we we do have the we have the power to come up with the solutions together.
0: Well, the only thing that I'm going to add is just to think about it on a daily basis. Think about little stuff, you know? think about random acts of kindness, even on a daily basis. It doesn't have to do with, you know, the spider that you didn't stop on today, or does it have to do with the person you didn't yell at? But just to start thinking about how can you just, even mentally, and you know, I mean, Ty, you know, okay, you got to talk about this, right? Mentally, even just think about, a couple of things each day and how can you just move things in a positive direction or what did you just naturally do that moved something in a a positive direction um yeah you know tipping points can tip slow they can tip fast and you know I think staying curious and what if this and what if that and yeah just paying attention
1: Thank you. All, all beautiful closing <laughs> remarks. Um, I appreciate uh, all of you coming on. And where can people connect with Sable?
2: Absolutely, you can find us on LinkedIn uh, or online, stableadvisory.com
1: Perfect. I will have, if you don't mind, uh, can I, is it okay to put post everybody's LinkedIn's links in the
0: That'd in the, be
1: bio great. the show? Okay. So every the Sable Advisory Services, the website will be posted in the show notes um, mm-hmm. as well. Is uh, Elizabeth, Lemay's, and Sylvia's uh, LinkedIn's as well, if you want to connect with them individually. Thank you all so much for the conversation. I I really thoroughly enjoyed it and I learned a lot as well. So that's the most important part, right? Stay curious, keep learning. So thank you. Uh, (laughs) Thank
3: you so much. Thanks a lot, Tony. Hi. Cheers.